with me, at, if you're physically able, as we read from God's precious Word, we're at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, I'm at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. I don't know how that happened. Thank you, Jill. <clears throat> For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, it did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul day by day, from day to day, by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority. They are presumptuous and self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and they will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of the adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Gore, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by tempest, for whom is reserved the blackest blackness of darkness forever. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the fact that in its original language, it's perfect. There's, there is no flaw. Thank you that it's complete too. That you're not adding to it. You didn't go, gee, I wish I'd have said that. And have some postscript or addendums that people try to put on it. It's complete. We have it. And we're complete in you. And we have informed praise now. We worship you now in spirit and in truth. And your Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. And now we can celebrate your attributes. Seen in what you've made. Seen you seen in the conscience you gave us and seen in the specific portrait of your Son that is the Bible. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld your glory as of the only begotten, uh, full of grace and truth. So thank you so very much. May we see Him here because He's here. May we always view the Scriptures through the prism of your Son. And may we, may we the, the implanted Word go down into hearts that have been tilled up and and, and the plows have been used by Your Holy Spirit to prepare us for what You'd say this morning and what You are saying. And I pray, Father, that it would fall down in deep, receptive hearts and that it would take root there in greater measure and grow up in the surface to produce eternal fruit. Our motivation is this, simply because You live in us, not because of anything that's of us. Our motivation is, Lord, that we bear much fruit because by bearing much fruit, you're glorified. And Lord, thank You for the fruit bearing we've already heard about today. Witnesses and influence 
that your, your children carry when they let you have your way with them. And, and that, that we can be used. We really can. We can be used to be emptied so that we're filled with You so that people really do see Jesus in us. Thank You, Lord, that You set about a work that You are going to complete. That You are going to complete the work of conforming us into the image of Your dear Son. And I pray that this today, as we encounter You in the Word and You encounter us, that Lord, um, that You would uh, grow us in You. Encourage. We pray that You'll comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Do whatever Your Word sets forth to do. And we claim that Your Word does not return that void. It accomplishes it for the purposes, the purposes for which You send it. We love You and worship You, Jesus, and we praise You. And we celebrate the fact that every bit of the love we have for You is attributed to the fact that You first loved us. In the sweet name of Your Savior, we, of the Savior, we pray. Amen. We're thankful uh, for the Word of the Living God. The Bible says in Titus, you don't, you don't need to, to um, necessarily turn there, but the Bible says in Titus chapter nine, chapter one, verse nine, that we are to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And so there's so much of it floating around today. It does matter what we believe. It does matter. Contrary to popular opinion, uh, there is truth and there is error. There is light. There is darkness. And the enemy is the only one who stands to gain when he tries to blur the lines between them. And so that is the, certainly the, the, the method and the madness of a false teacher. And we were warned. He gave us a heads up. And Peter said, you know what, just like there were false prophets, as the Old Testament was being written and lived out, there'll be false teachers among you. He didn't say false prophets because there are no more prophets. I don't care who claims to be one, they're not. If they claim to be a prophet, then they're a false teacher. And so we looked, and we looked last week at some of the, the brash um, attitude of the false teacher, going around rebuking everything, rebuke a pole, rebuke a light bulb, rebuke a car, rebuke a house, rebuke this, and rebuke that, constantly rebuking and rebuking the devil and binding the devil and doing all these things that false teachers do. And we looked at the common thread among all of that was, it's put in the context of the angels who left the holy abode and came down and commingled with... Uh, with humankind in Genesis chapter 6, which brought about the reason for the flood. And then we uh, saw where Sodom and Gomorrah, and, the, the, and he just got through telling us, using that as an example, of where somebody took the place that they have in humanity, either male and female, and abandoned that and burned and lust one, toward one another. And so the common theme among, uh, that fits in there is, is the false teacher just gets out of place and starts messing around in a realm a spiritual realm he doesn't know anything about. And he's reckless. And he's um, motivated certainly by covetousness and by lining his own pocket and feeding his ego. And we talked about the fact that they really are those that would promote a crossless Christianity. And that is this. Not that the cross is not necessary for salvation and even that's perverted. But that once you get in and you become a Christian, they resent the work of the cross in us. They wouldn't say much so, so much about, bad about the work of the cross for us, but they totally reject and resent the work that God does in conforming us into the image of His Son. That once we're saved, salvation is the work of the cross for us. Sanctification is God's work of the cross in us. And we've talked about the fact that they call out of their teaching by twisting the Scriptures a, a Christianity that... that um, that means that we can have our cake and eat it too. 
that, that God's up there as a spiritual Santa Claus to bless us, and we're supposed to be uh, prosperous down here. There's no trouble's not supposed to come our way, adversity, persecution, none of that. If it does, you're out of, out of God's will, and that you can just get what you want out of Him and slap Jesus' name to it. And the abuse that comes from that is unbelievable. And it goes on. It's still going on. It'll go on until the Lord comes. The Bible says that evil men and imposters will what? Grow worse and worse. So the devil's lives are not getting better. He's just recycling them. But they're making more traction as we approach the coming of our Lord. And so we, we looked at that last week. And so now we're going to look and pick up in verse 12, which is where we left off from verse 11 last week. And it says, But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. A natural brute beast does not operate by reason, but it operates by instinct. It means that, you know what, you just do what instinctively you want to do, independent and regardless of what God may say in His Word. Um, and uh, that uh, and, 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 a, and a beast makes no contribution to society. And about the only thing that ultimately a brute beast is good for is to be caught and destroyed. And so... It is a, it is a, 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 almost like a bull in a china shop taking the things of God and mishandling the things of God and abusing the people of God for selfish, self-serving reasons. We see that going on all the time in today's church culture. And the Bible says there no, they're, they're really, there's really no use for them except to be called and destroyed. We know that by looking at this and looking at the context, the plight and the destination for a false teacher is hell. It's not that they're going to barely make it to heaven and lose reward. The Bible says a false teacher is headed for hell. And uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was trying to uh, reveal and expose the Judaizers among the churches in Galatia and in the surrounding area, he said, if we or an angel from heaven come to you with a different gospel than what you've already received, let him be an anathema. Let him be accursed. That means let him go to hell. And he said, I say again, if somebody comes to you with a gospel different than what you've heard, let him go to hell. And we go, oh, that's strong language. But we think about it, and it is. We think about it. It's tragic enough that they would go to hell. But the greater tragedy is to take the doctrine they subscribe to and lead others there. I told you about the Mormon I was witnessing to at KSU and I told him the same thing. I said, it's a tragedy. It is an abject tragedy. Your leadership is going to hell. I said, but the greater tragedy is is you're going to follow them there. Don't follow them there. You know, it's tragic enough. If you want to make that decision stumble all over the cross and poke out your neck and stiffen your neck and shore up your pride and go to hell, that's your business. But to teach other people how to go, there's another matter. And God doesn't um, doesn't put up with that. Judgment is coming. He said they were, and they, so they they speak evil of the things they do not understand. In the in the eternal realm, rebuking the devil, and we know from looking at Jude that uh, even the angel Michael was the archangel did not rebuke the devil in the dispute over the location of the body of Moses. He said, the Lord rebuke you. And even, a, even an angel gave some kind of dignity um, to the uh, demonic realm and the, what they had in their pre-fall glory. 
and said, you know what, the Lord take care of that. The Lord take care of that. That's not me to take care of. And so we enter into that realm and know nothing about it except what the Bible gives us and there's a lot He doesn't give us. Then we're being brash, we're being bold, and we're being foolish. We talk to the Lord. The Lord rebukes the devil, not me and you. Or you and I. And so they carouse, they revile. That really means sensual reviling. It means luxury, it means softness, it can mean extravagance. It means self-serving vices that, that, that lead other people to say, you need to do this too. They're hijacking the gospel for self-serving purposes so they can line their own pockets and their egos. Come up with big followings. They're hijacking the gospel while at the same time hijacking the people and extorting money from the people that they're, uh, that they're influencing. There's nothing worse than being preyed upon spiritually. And the Bible says they'll receive the wages of their unrighteousness. In other words, destruction is awaiting them as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. It's preying upon the spiritually weak and doing it in open rebellion against God. Television, print, you name it, on the internet, you name it. There's no shame, there's no, there's no hiding it. It comes under the veneer of Christian faith and it's anything but Christian. And it's anything but faith. Those who would abuse the Gospel and say that you get into heaven and you get in in a relationship with Jesus Christ and the cross and you're done with that and the cross is done with you and now God exists to exalt you. God exists to exalt you. We need to well learn. Our children need to learn this too. The earth is not in the center of the universe or the center of our solar system. The sun is. We're three planets over. In the flesh, we just look at it this way. This is a Lindsay Lewis world and you just happen to live in it. And you can put your name in there. The egocentric, self-exalted flesh. That's who we are apart from Christ. And what do they do? They prey on that. They pray on that. You can have your cake, eat it too. Let's have a crossless Christianity. We'll slap Jesus' name on it, but He's here for you. You're certainly not here for Him. He's here for you. And you can extort out of Him whatever you want. And while at the same time, they're extorting the people they promote that to. It is tragic. It is tragic. If you think this is distant or far removed, it's not. Um, it's tried to get in our church before. And so I want you to know that we're going to take a stand and we're going to take a stand and refute those who contradict. Not to be anything but this. We will not sacrifice the truth for the sake of unity. Because if you sacrifice the truth for the sake of unity, what unity you have there is not unified anyway. It's fake unity. It means nothing. They're going to get what's coming to them. They do it in the daytime. The Bible says there are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. They participate in the Lord's Supper with you. They feast. Hey man, hey when the Lord's table comes on, if you've got that little care about God's Word and faithfulness to God's Word and the power of the eternal realm, if we don't fear and have some kind of trembling in front of God and we're that brazen and brash, hey, they don't mind sitting up at the Lord's table at all. It fits with their with their uh, pathology. Like we've talked about before, that once you get saved, and once you and I are saved, we're either going to deny ourselves and follow Christ, or we're going to deny Christ and follow ourselves. One or the other. That is not to get saved. 
but that is strong evidence of having been saved. The root of our salvation is not faith and works. Our faith is not based on faith and works. It's based on the grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for His glory. And we're not saved by faith and works, but borrowing from Calvin, he said we are saved by faith which does work. That's true. But the root of our faith is the root of our salvation is faith, not works, not faith and works. In any measure, it's just faith in Christ, through grace in Christ alone, period. We're saved by grace through faith, we're kept by grace through faith, and we have the hope of eternal glory by grace through faith, and that never changes. And works are the the fruit of salvation, but works are not the root of it. The root of it is God's work in his son. And it's a complete work. Praise His name. This is what happens. Growth in the Christian faith in large measure is just growth in understanding that Jesus Christ is enough. And what does a false teacher say? Jesus Christ plus. You've got to have something else. You know, you're insufficient. You got in, but it's not enough. He's not enough. He's not going to be enough. He's not going to make you complete. There's something else you need. And they prey on a fleshly appetite that says, yeah, I do need something else. He's right. I've come into some hard times. It's not as joyful as it was when we first met. It's not, it's not the honeymoon's over. I've gone to living now. And the problems are the same. As a matter of fact, they seem to be getting worse. And the adversity is the same. And all of these things. And they look and prey upon unstable souls who have not yet matured in the faith and say, no, 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 no. You, you, you're all wrong. No, no. Everything's supposed to go great. You're supposed to float on heaven to an, on a bed of ease, comfort, and pleasure. And so they sit right beside us at the Lord's Supper. And it says they have a, have a, a, a carousing in their own deceptions while they're eating the Lord's Supper with you, having eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. It says that they are um, enticing unstable souls means certainly that they're preying upon the spiritually weak. I want you to look at a couple of verses with me. Just get your Bible in tone. Let's just look at a couple. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 11. Will you go there with me? Romans chapter 1, verse 11. This is Paul's reason for writing the book. Main reason for writing the book. It's, it's of Romans. He's, he's, he's given them the greatest single book in the Bible, comprehensive treatment of the gospel of Jesus Christ, no doubt. But, but his aim at doing that, that's his subject matter, but his, here's his objective. In verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, rooted, grounded in the faith. That you may, be, you may have strong spiritual roots. We need to take this spiritual truth and reiterate it and go over it and celebrate it and meditate on it and eat this scroll and let that get down in and take root. And as it takes root and it takes... Uh, takes greater measure in your life and you begin to receive it and, and, and to be rooted thereby. And then that, that seed dies and sprouts up. And the Bible says that when temptation and trials are going to come our way, and, and, and if, if, the, if the soil of our heart is receptive, and if we're established in the faith, when that plant grows up according to the parable of the soils and the temptation, the sun rises, which means temptation and trials and persecution, when it happens, if you've got a well-established faith and a well-established heart, 
what your response to the sunlight is going to be is you're going to grow stronger roots. Because what's going to happen is, is the adverse surface conditions are going to make you seek moisture. And you're going to seek moisture by spreading out deeper roots. And so what the plant does in response to the sunlight and the difficulty upstairs is it establishes stronger roots downstairs. And so the persecution and the temptation and trials in a well-established Christian only serve to strengthen them, not weaken them. And it is not to cast doubt on the love of God. Brothers and sisters, it's evidence of the love of God. And once you get in in Christian faith, God is going to enroll you in the university of adversity. And He wants you to get a PhD there. And He's going to put you in tribulation tech. I say that for Dan's benefit. And He wants you to get a PhD at tribulation tech. And Pat too. Right there. As the trouble comes our way and we respond biblically and we respond truthfully to it, what does it do? Another shoot goes out. And another shoot goes out because the, the Scriptures and the Bible are digging deeper roots into my heart. And, and, and so the condition and the health of the plant cannot be determined by what the surface looks like. The health of the plant is determined by what's going on underneath it. And as we continue to receive the Word of God and say, you know what, I know my feelings say this, but God's Word says this, so I'm going to go with God's Word. I know that my well-intended friends say this, but God's Word says this, so I'm going to go with God's Word. I know that everybody around me and the majority report is says this, but this, God's Word says this, and I'm going to go with God's Word. I know that my, my circumstances communicate this, but I'm going to operate by faith and not by sight, because in the world, believing, seeing might be believing but in the Christian faith believing is seeing and so we say go to the word of God and be established the apostle Paul said I can't go there in person and be with you in person so I'm going to do a Bible conference via this letter this is Paul's Bible conference the book of Romans he said so I can't be there and what's my aim? to be established in the truth established in the faith. Stand firm. You're going to need to be established because temptation is going to come your way. Trials are going to come your way. Adversity is going to come your way. Persecution is going to come your way. False accusations are going to come your way. That's it. That's what you're going to expect. And He's kind enough to tell us up front. God's not an Amway salesman. People invite you to an Amway meeting. They never tell you why they want you to go. You only find out when you get there. And they go through their stuff and they say, this company means American... Way and you put those two together and it means Amway. If you're involved in Amway, don't send me any letters. That's fine. Just go ahead and do it whatever you want to do. But you'd never go to the meeting if you found out what it was for first. They never take it until you get there. And this is not the way Jesus works. He said, "You you come and you follow me and count the cost because there's going to be one, not to redeem you, but having been redeemed, there's going to be a cost associated with it." And the false teacher just calls back at that and goes, no, I can take the Bible and twist it. Like I said, they use our words, but they don't use our dictionary. And I can twist Bible truth so that I can convince you that following Christ and keeping your fleshly appetites are consistent with one another. And yet the Bible teaches somebody's got to go. No man can serve two masters. The flesh has got to go. And God sets about killing it in sanctification, not improving it or dressing it up like you would put lipstick on a pig. God says, no, it's got to go. Two of us can't reside here. I want you to be established in the truth. It's very important. 
that we're established in the truth. Look at, look at Romans 16, verse 25. Go with me over there if you will. 16.25. It's all over the Bible. We're just taking a couple of spots here. He's talking about Jesus here, of course. He says, Now to Him, Christ, who is able to establish you according to My Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept since the world began. He is able to establish you. That's His objective. He wants you established in me, established and rooted in the Word. When we get to the point where we realize, like we've celebrated so many times, that when you get to the point, when you realize Christ is all you have, that is the point when you get to the point where you realize He's all you need. Jesus Christ plus nothing equals everything. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.58. I uh, always... Pray this with Bruce when we're um, try to anyway. We pray together over the phone and use this and my correspondence often with him to encourage him because things get tough over there, especially when you're in another culture and you live in another culture and you look around and and um, stand in need of encouragement. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your name, your labor ends not in vain. <coughs> Be steadfast, immovable, established. I'm here for the long haul. I'm not a flash in the pan. I'm here. I am, I'm here, Lord. You do what you want to do with me. Do what you want to do in me. Perform surgery. Do whatever it takes in this wonderful this wonderful, beautiful life that You've given me in Your Son to take me off the stage and put You on it. Do it, Lord. Please. Ephesians 6.14 <clears throat> Bless His holy name. Bless His holy name. Thank You, Jesus. Oh, that we would be established believers. Amen. Look what it says. Let's go to 13. It's talking about the armor of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. Stand therefore. And he goes into the, all the parts of the armor. Stand. Be established. Be firm. Be well rooted. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. There's a bunch of others. Again, you could, you could think of some right now. But look, 1 Thessalonians 3, 2. <clears throat> Let's go to one. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and send Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to do what? Establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Look, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. So we don't look at the afflictions and go, wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen. We don't fall in the trap that John the Baptist, although he was full of the Holy Spirit, you remember we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, John the Baptist winds up in prison. He's, he's going to lose his life and probably knows that already. And he sends disciples to Christ and says, are you the one or we look for another one? It wasn't because he didn't doubt. He, he, he doubted the Messiah. He just didn't see and know what the Messiah was about to do. I'm looking for one who's on the throne and here I'm in prison. We do the same thing. Tough times come in our marriage. We go, are you the one or do we look for another? 
tough times come into your career. You're the one that look for another. In neighborhood, in relationships, you're the one that we look for another. I can't tell you how many people go into Christian counseling and go around and float around to counselors till they find one that tells them what they want to hear. And what you, when you find somebody who tells you what you want to hear, it's always at the expense of what you need to hear. You want to tickle the ear. Oh, it's too hard. You've been unfairly treated. Unfairly treated. Wow. Just get a real quick vision of the cross and see if that holds up. Unfairly treated? He who knew no sin became sin? And this is unfair? <laughs> you know what's fair for me and you apart from Christ? Hell. Hell. Apart from Christ, that's where I'd be right now. And God would be right in sending me there. And you too. It'd be a just thing for Him to send me there. Now because of His Son, it'd be an unjust thing for Him to send me there. <laughs> Praise God, hallelujah, amen. Oh man, hallelujah. So be established. Look at verse 13, same chapter. So that He may establish your hearts, blameless in holiness before our God and Father to come upon our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. You know what, I've been in the church world. I've been in corporate church. I've been in church incorporated. I've served on the staff where we were acting more like a business than we were acting like a church. No, I've been there and all of that. I remember I came from the banking business, banking world, and I used to work for a bank called Wachovia. They're not around anymore. And I left there and I'd go to our meetings and say, man, these are just like the meetings we had at the bank. I thought they'd be different. They're kind of the same. I'm not kidding you. And get out the church growth manuals and all the other stuff and look at them. And I started noticing something. It's always easy to see what's there, but a lot of times you can tell things because of what's not there. Matter of fact, you can tell things about the Bible by what's not mentioned in it. <laughs> like, for instance, Peter never mentions his sin. That pumps me up. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. I denied Christ three times and say a word about it because of the blood. I just had to put that in there because that just floats my boat. But, um, um, there's one thing that was always missing in the church growth manuals, and that was a call to live holy. It was always out of there. That's always missing in a false teacher's teaching. Live holy. Why? Because you've got to go into the means by which God makes you holy. How does He make you holy? You've been appointed. Appointed to difficulty, persecution, suffering, adversity. Been appointed to this. The Bible says to you it has been granted. It's divine favor. It's not divine disfavor. The Apostle Paul went through all this suffering. We talked about this in Roman study. He goes through all this study, uh, this uh, suffering. You know, left for dead on the streets of Lystra. Beaten. 39 lashes. Remember, Ted, we talked about that. And beaten, shipwrecked. Uh, in peril of nakedness. In peril of sword. In sleeplessness often. Shipwrecked. And all this other stuff. You take that scripture and you put it beside Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul went all through all of this and here's the conclusion he drew. Boy, this Christian faith is not what I thought it would be. Or boy, I resent this. No. What was his conclusion? That's right. That's right. Amen. And I'm persuaded. <laughs> and he listed all the things he went through. 
all of those things, nothing will be able to separate me from the love of God that I have in Christ Jesus. <laughs> we talked about this before, but everyone is the object of the love of God. For God so loved the world. And then when you get saved, you become the recipient of the love of God. But when you go through trials and tribulations, that's when you begin to understand the love of God. And there's a difference. There's a difference. And the false teacher says, no, we've got to take that out of there because nobody will, nobody will buy into that. Nobody has an appetite for that. That's bad news. No, it's great news. It's the means by which God establishes us. It says they're trained in covenant practices. That mean, that, you know that word trained is the same word from which we get gymnasium from. It means to concentrate on forbidden things or to exercise, and to exercise discipline regarding them. That you know what, just like an athlete trains to be a peak performer on the football field or the baseball field, these are trained in how to manipulate and exploit people by exploiting their fleshly appetites and do it in the name of Jesus. That's as bad as it gets. <clears throat> and the Bible says they're accursed children. They're accursed children. You know what you're a child of? You're a child of whatever influences or most dominates your life. Well, as a Christian, we're a child positionally of the King. Abba, Father, Daddy. And if when the power of the Holy Spirit comes in, who indwells all believers, then He is to influence us. And they said they love the wages of unrighteousness. Just love it. I'll tell you this. <clears throat> Our Lord said this about that. What? Does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? That's a foolish choice. I'm going to tell you that right now. The people who know Jesus. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, uh, two weekends ago, I guess it's been, there was a conference done by a Bible teacher that I respect. I don't always agree with him, but I respect him. And the fact that I don't always agree with him and ten cent a buy your coffee. No, it's a dollar and fifty now. Um, it's neither here nor there. I'm just saying I don't always agree with him, but I do respect him and I respect his reverence for God's word. And they had a conference and they called it Strange Fire. And it was to kind of expose an expose on the charismatic movement and the error of the charismatic movement. Boy, there were some just wonderful, wonderful messages preached on that. I watched some of it. They streamed it. Streamed it. And um, I thought it was just wonderful that one of their, uh, one of their um, testimonies they had in the conference was um, Johnny Erickson. He's confined to a wheelchair. You know the story. You're shaking your head, Kim. You know what I'm talking about. And she had a tragic accident and snapped her spine. And she's been confined to a wheelchair for, I don't know, how many years? It's been 30 years now, something like that. And they wheel her up on this stage. And she said, I asked God to heal me. I've asked Him to heal me. But you know what the greater blessing has been? The greater blessing has been that He didn't. Because in this chair, I've come to know Him. I've come to know Him. I thought, what a beautiful, appropriate testimony for a conference like that. In this chair, I've come to know Him. You know what? 
I'm here to tell you. Those who would say that the Christian life is just a um, one big giant hurrah. It is a hurrah. It's a hurrah in the middle of great pain, suffering, and deep trial. But that's the marvel of it, isn't it? Is that when you come to a place when you're going through a tough time and you can still say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because you know what that's called? That's called the peace that passes all understanding. Why does it pass understanding? Because apart from Christ, you can't figure it out. And apart from Christ, you can't have it. But with Christ, it's inevitable. And those who would pray on the hopelessness and the desperate plight of others around us, those who would pray on their appetites, their lack, whatever, and prefer gospel truth in order to exploit them. Just because God hasn't judged that doesn't mean He's not going to. He will. He will. Just as surely as He'll judge that, He'll rescue you and I from His judgment because we're the redeemed. Amen. We settled out of court. For all who repent toward God and put faith in His dear Son, it's mercy. For all who reject Him, it's justice. I want mercy. Amen. Hallelujah. Put me in the mercy camp. I stand in need of it. The perfect segue to the Lord's Supper. I'm not saying that the Christian life is not full of joy. It absolutely is. But the Christian life is joy secured and experienced not because of our circumstances, but most often in spite of them. Now, that attracts the attention of people who cannot figure that out. And that's why the Bible says to be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. When is the last time somebody's walked up to you and said, could you tell me why you have such hope? That's a, that's a convicting question. If we're not experiencing the joy and the peace that comes through faithfully following Christ, they're not going to see that hope and they're not going to, be care, they're not going to care to ask about it because they don't see it. They get to see that every day. Hopelessness is very, they're very familiar with that. But the one who has hope, in spite of the most difficult circumstances, that's when you start getting those kind of questions. Why is there so much hope? Oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you what's happened to me. <laughs> I've got to tell you about Jesus. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. I'm so proud of Jesus. I'm telling you right now, I'm just proud of Him. That's probably not a spiritual thing to say, but I'm so proud of Him. Aren't you proud of the Lord? I mean, He's just awesome, isn't He? And, and, I'm, I, and, and uh, this, is, this is something we've affirmed to the Lord's Supper. But I, but I want to... And, and you know, the Parsons family was kind enough. And don't think that this isn't an ongoing blessing to me and my family because we got it put right in the windowsill in the, in the kitchen, and I spent a lot of time there. And we have it right in the, in the windowsill of our kitchen. And there's a cross there. And on the cross, they gave it to us several months ago, probably a couple of years ago now. And it says what Psalm 118 says. Let's go look at it. Let's go look at Psalm 118. And let's, let's look at uh, verse 24. It says this on that cross, Rick. 
And every time I go in there and wash my hands and all that, I look up at that and I just smile. I really do. This makes me so proud of the Lord. And because this is the way the Lord is, we can approach this supper in the same spirit. Because this is the way the Lord is, no matter how bad it is for you and how difficult you may be going through a time, it's been said before, it really is true. You're either coming out of a difficult time, you're in the middle of one, or you're headed into one. That's the truth. And if you're in the middle of a difficult time, a difficult time, because Christ is like this, if you're saved, you're like this. Because of Him. But on the eve of His death, like for instance, we get through the Lord's Supper here in a minute, we'll often sing some kind of hymn or maybe the doxology. You know, just something. something. Well, we get that from the Bible. You know that the disciples, when they had the Last Supper and they left, what did they do in Mark's account, I believe it is in the Gospel, that says what they did. They sang a hymn. That's right. This is what they sang. So our Lord, on the eve of His death, sings this. This makes me so proud of Him. He sings this. And this is what He sings, in part. This is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. Do you know what day that meant for Him? you know what day that was? That was the day that He laid down His life on the cross of Calvary. His disposition with the cross, toward the cross was this. This is the day. This is the day that my Father has orchestrated. From the foundation of the world, this day, on this day, I will lay down my life for my sheep. On this day, I will pay the price for every repentant man, woman, and boy and girl who has ever been born, whoever will be born. I will do that this day. And I rejoice in the privilege of doing it. Oh man, what a Savior. Look at the next verse. Save, save now, I pray, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, save now. Save now. And then he's, and, and, and he's, he, he, says, um, he says later on, he says, bind the cords to the altar. He's talking about himself. Bind me. Bind me. With bounds of what? Was the nails? Is it the nails that kept him there? Is the nail what kept him there? Come on. I don't care how strong nails are. It wasn't nails that kept him there. It was the love of God that kept him there. Motivated by the glory of God that kept him there. No nail hold my, held my Savior there. And to His name be praised forevermore. Amen? And because He said that about His cross, you can sing that about yours. You can say, okay God, it's a tough season. He understands that. He doesn't look up at heaven and go, Ah, he's sympathetic toward that. He listens. He says, I understand. This is how he looks back at you. I understand how tough that is. I was rejected by the very people who I came to die for. He spit on my face, plucked out my beard, and killed me. For them it was murder. For Father it was sacrifice. I understand what you're going through. But because...
that was his disposition toward his cross, it is, by faith, your disposition toward yours. No matter how it might be, we can sing with Christ Himself and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I'll rejoice and be glad in it. You think God's not sovereign over what you're going through? You think God is somehow another dethroned in your circumstance? He's enthroned everywhere else except you? Uh-uh. He's enthroned there too. There's not a place that He's not sovereign over. So as we take the Lord's Supper, we take the cup, let's get prepared for it. We don't want to be like the false teachers who would sit at God's table and just with brazen pride and brashness partake of the Lord's Supper. No, we want to take partake of the Lord's Supper with humility and gratitude because of the love of God through the Son of God. But let's examine ourselves. If you have a relationship with Christ, if you've repented toward God and put faith in Him, then you can take this cup. This is your meal. It's His. He's serving it to us. But also, if you're, in fellowship, if you're not in fellowship with the Lord, this is the time to do something about it right now. If you have the relationship but you're not in fellowship, harboring some unconfessed sin that you just have held on to and you know exactly what it is, or maybe in the next few moments God's going to show you something and He's going to show me something that I stand in need of to repent over. Repent before you take this supper. Do not take this in an unworthy manner. Don't take it flippantly. Don't take it like it's routine. We do this every Sunday. Don't None of that. Take If you, if you have the relationship, but also examine to see if you're in fellowship. And if you're in fellowship, man, the relationship, let's worship the Lord together. Let's worship the Lord together.